Imagine a world where men stepped up and answered God's call to reach their full potential. Imagine a world where men put their faith and trust in God unwaveringly and without qualification. Imagine a world where men lived out God's purpose for them in everything they do. It's not my credit to take explores the awe and wonder of how God shows up in the lives of strong, principled Christian men from all walks of life. Get ready to laugh, to cry, and to be transformed. I'm your host, Dr. Ed Slover, faithful husband, loving father, loyal friend, and unapologetically Christian. Welcome to the It's Not My Credit to Take podcast. JW, how are you today, sir? Oh, outstanding. It's great to be with you this morning, Ed. It's great to have you. I'm really looking forward to having this conversation. My guest today is J.W. Rayons. I was first introduced to J.W. by the provost of Grand Canyon University, Dr. Randy Gibb, and we knew right away we were kindred spirits. J.W. grew up in Iowa with a Midwest work ethic and hometown values. He's called Arizona home since 1997, and he's been serving clients as a financial investment advisor since 1999, and he's the president of Rayon's Financial Solutions, LLC, and Joshua Development, LLC. JW also volunteers with Junior Achievement and enjoys coaching youth sports through multiple organizations, including the YMCA, the Boys and Girls Club, and the Junior Phoenix Suns, and he holds the belief that when you look for the good in people, you'll find it. And I couldn't agree more. He's been married to his wife, Tiffany, for 19 years, and together they have four children. JW, welcome to the It's Not My Credit to Take podcast. Uh, it is an absolute joy, Ed. It, it, and you're right. When we first met and Randy introduced us, uh, we did just really kind of understand that we've got some similar views on life and, and approaches to the way that we serve people. And it is just a joy to be here with you and your audience today. So thank you. You're welcome. I appreciate that. Now, I mentioned in the opening that you're from Iowa. Yeah. And I'm curious about something. And I want you to know that I did a little research in advance because I've been to Iowa on a mm -hmm. handful of occasions. And regrettably, I was in Iowa during the winter. Okay. And so it was tough. It was tough. <laughs> and so you traded an Iowa winter for Arizona summer. And this is what gets me curious because in preparing for our conversation, I looked up Dante's Inferno and the nine rings of hell. Because <laughs> I've always referred to Arizona summer as the eighth circle of hell. And I'm, I got that completely wrong. It's actually the sixth circle of hell. That's fire. The oh, okay. lowest part of hell, according to Dante, which is frigid cold, is the ninth circle. <laughs> so basically, you up you upgraded a little. Why would you do that to yourself? Oh my goodness! You know what? I love to be outside, and I know that doesn't answer your question because everybody that's listening right now is probably thinking, "Yeah, outside in 110, 120, that doesn't sound any better." No. I'll, I'll give you this quick story. Uh, so my grandfather who farmed his entire life, right. And I remember him saying, it will be a cold day in hell before <laughs> I stop farming the day of his funeral. It was negative 22 degrees wow. with almost negative 70 wind chill. Oh my and, God. And that funeral was in Iowa. And so you may hear some people reference Iowa as heaven. If you've seen Phil the dreams. And then you may hear other people just say, you know what? It really is cold as hell. No doubt about <laughs> and so it. So coming out to Arizona has been outstanding. I, I get to go back and visit quite a bit. Most of my family is still there. But uh, I, I really do enjoy both places. 
but I don't miss the winters at all. Yeah, I mean, if you actually do the math on that, minus 70 wind chill to roughly 120 degrees heat index in the desert, I mean, you basically are having a 200 degree swing. It is, yeah. So tell us a little bit more about your background and how you ended up where you are in life. Yeah, I appreciate that question. And and almost if we can begin, I, I just want to thank everyone that's listening. So all of your audience that's listening, because I know that you, you and I want to create as much value with this time that we have together as possible for them. And so I, I want to begin by thanking them because they're taking time out of their day to listen to you and I just chat back and forth. And so I do want to begin with that. And, and I'll keep my story short because I really want to interact with you and the questions that, that you have for our conversation. But it's pretty simple. I mean, the simplest way to explain it is I, I was basically just a farmer construction kid and uh, grew up for the most part in Iowa. We did move around a lot. And so that was where some of my exposure to Arizona was. We did live here for a time when I was in grade school. So I had these childhood memories of Arizona, and that's kind of what drew me back then uh, after high school. Believe it or not, I, I, I had the opportunity to do a lot of things earlier in life or forced into doing a lot of things earlier in life than, than many people. Uh, and one of those was starting a business. And so I did that when I was still in my final semester of college. And that was Rayhan's financial. And so I guess even, you know, we've got certain rules and regulations that we have to follow as advisors. So the first thing that I'll say up front to anyone that's listening is if there does become any financial questions that come up, I just have to disclose up front. They're not meant for personal <laughs> advice for whoever you are that's listening. <laughs> They're just general principles that might be good for lots of people. There's the disclaimer. Uh, it is. There, there's the disclaimer. And so that way I don't get in trouble with anything that I say. Uh, but that business, I, I'll share with you a little bit about that because it'll give you a, a bit of the background that you're looking for. The, ma the majority reason why I chose that business was because I really wanted to help people create and live the lifestyle that they want. See, see growing up in such a labor-intensive environment, farming and construction, we knew how to work hard, but I saw all kinds of people around us that worked really hard, but that didn't necessarily mean that they got to live the life that they really wanted. And so I became intrigued with that and realized the financial area of someone's life can be an outstanding resource. And so early on, I kind of developed this belief and it mostly came from coaching sports. I appreciate you mentioning that. That's, that's one of my major loves and passions is coaching new sports, especially basketball. And uh, one of the things that I realized is people get more from what you do when what you do is not what they think you do. So I'll say that one more time and then I'll explain. People get more from what you do when what they think you do is not what you really do. And so even like when it came to coaching basketball, I knew those kids were coming because they wanted to have fun. They wanted to play basketball and they wanted to hit three pointers, you know, and all that kind of stuff. And, but really we were there, us as coaches, we were there to really kind of empower their lives beyond basketball and, and lots of sports are that way. So even our approach to business has always been that way as well. And so that gives you maybe a little bit of background in the way that I grew up, what's kind of led to where I am today. And uh, I'll let that kind of lead off to whatever else you want to talk about. So I'm interested in going two directions here. The first Please. is why, why do you think that in many ways, we're taught to believe that being poor is the mm. order of the day, particularly from a Christian perspective. 
Now, I, yeah. I, I, I understand the notion of sacrifice. And I also understand and appreciate the idea that we should help those that are in need. No doubt about that. But it almost seems that we need to do those things at the exclusion of building our own personal wealth. Yeah. Why do you yeah. think that idea has been perpetuated you know, throughout the years? That's an outstanding question. In fact, um, this is where, for those of you that are listening, I would probably encourage you, you know, many of you, you might be driving, you might be in the gym, you might be, you know, just listening to this while you do things around the house. But I would encourage you there, there's probably, this is the coaching, this is the coaching part of me coming out already, right? And so the coaching and training part of me is going to come out really quick because my hope is we might prompt some questions for people to, to be thought provoking and maybe write a few things down. And so when we think about this idea of why does it seem like being poor is more righteous than being rich? I'm rephrasing a little bit of what you asked, but I guess what I would encourage anyone to ask themselves or maybe think about is what is my definition of poor or rich or wealthy? Like, how do I define that for myself? Because I think many people have been either led to believe or just in their own heads thought that in order to be humble, which is one of the key virtues that we're called upon, especially as Christians, that that means that we have to totally sacrifice or that we have to be poor or that we have to totally, you know, give ourselves to other people and not pay attention to what honors us and our relationship with God. And so that might be the first thing is just ask yourself, why and how do you define this definition of poor? You know, there's many verses in the Bible where we're called to live abundantly, where we're called to utilize the gifts that we've been given um, in the best ways possible to serve others. And so in that, that gives you a sense of richness. That's a, that's, a, that's a part of being wealthy is when you utilize those gifts. And sometimes those gifts can be financial resources. And so I think if we can define poor, define rich, define wealthy, but really come to sort of an abundance mindset and utilizing the gifts that have been given for good, there's many wealthy people. There's many people that have lots of financial resources that they do amazing things with those resources and they don't feel any guilt whatsoever of having the money that they have. But there's other people that are absolutely poor when it comes to finances and they feel guilty all the time. So it's not like whether you have a lot of money or you don't have a lot of money is the differentiator on whether you feel rich or poor. So I guess that's why I respond in that way when it comes to that thinking is maybe it's worth thinking about how do I really define those terms and what should they mean for me? And, and even ask God for guidance on that. Where do you think the line is between using the gifts that we've been given in order to create wealth so it allows us to serve mm -hmm. people better and yeah. being greedy and hoarding you know, wealth for ourselves? You ask wonderful questions. You've done this. You're a professional. Um, I know in the beginning, actually, I don't know if you if you wanted to share this or, but I just thought of this, so I'll, I'll share it. But you, you, you and I were talking in the beginning before we started the recording that this is actually the 75th episode that's being recorded. So you're an absolute pro at this, and it shows with the questions that you ask. So you ask about this line, right? And so here's where I think people can see the line. And I'm going to, I'm going to utilize that and sharing with you and sharing with anyone that's listening, what my definition of wealthy is like when I think about 
what someone's wealth, what their level of wealth is, my belief is anyone's level of wealth will always equal their level of gratitude. Someone's level of wealth will always equal their level of gratitude. And so for me, and I guess the way that I, I think, or what I would share is where that line is, is where's your level of gratitude? If you have a high level of gratitude for whatever resources you've been given, then you're probably what I would consider on the right side of that line. And if you have a low level of gratitude, then maybe you have some additional work to do on that line. Maybe that's why you struggle with some of the financial boundaries, let's say that maybe you do, could be, where's your level of gratitude? And um, I, I can also share a quick story because you know I've had probably one of the greatest blessings of being in this particular business. And as you mentioned that I have another business as well, but in the financial business, probably one of the greatest blessings is it's not really the financial business, it's the trust and relationship business. And so there's been so many ways I've learned from others in their lives and the way that they share their stories and what they're going through and being able to advise and ask great questions through that and help guide people through um, all sorts of life things. And so I'll share this quick story because I think it helps with that line as well. And what we're talking about with regard to gratitude is we've been able to work with people that have received inheritances from their family. And they've, so they've been on this receiving end of money that they don't necessarily feel like they earned, right? So all of us, I shouldn't say all of them, the majority of us have probably been conditioned to think I have to earn everything that I have. And the reality is, is we're also called to be open and allow gifts to be received. God calls us to that, right? We have to be open to receiving his gift and receiving salvation, why wouldn't he also want us to be open to receiving gifts from others? But we also have this training, this conditioning that always helps us feel like we have to earn everything. I know I certainly did in my upbringing. It was like, you either earn it and work for it or you don't accept it. And so I had, I had to overcome some challenging beliefs along throughout my lifetime. And I feel like I still do every day. <laughs> and so when seeing people sometimes receive a gift or receive an inheritance that they didn't necessarily earn, there's a mental struggle there. And so sometimes literally people just start finding ways to get rid of that money that they've received, even though they don't realize that's what they're doing. And so we have these different life situations that, that trigger us to handle money in different ways. That's really interesting idea because you, you you read those accounts of lottery winners that yeah. end up blowing their their winnings because their their mindset wasn't such where they were prepared for everything that comes with that and it occurs to me and actually it occurred to me earlier this year and I've, I've said this a lot and for those of you not watching this on YouTube I'm putting my head down when putting my hands next to my eyes like blinders <laughs> Right. And we're to your point, mm -hmm. JW, we're conditioned to look at the next thing in front of us and grind and toil and struggle and suffer for everything that we earn in life. Mm -hmm. And and this is where I'd like your perspective, because I don't think that's God's default setting for us. The more and more I, I contemplate this idea, the more and more I'm I believe that he wants us to look up. And he yeah. wants us to expand our field of vision to all the possibilities and potentialities that he can bring into that field of vision. What's your general sense of that idea? 
Yeah, I, I actually, I really appreciate you sharing that because we can have blinders, right? And, and all of us do, right? We're, we're, we see the world in the experiences and the meaning we give to the experiences that we have. And so we, we almost have to rely on other people to sometimes help us see a bigger picture or broader picture than what we do. And so what can be helpful for people is even just thinking through, well, let me share it this way. Let me, let me share it this way. For anyone that's listening right now, and Ed, you could even do this too, and, and I'll end up doing it just because I'm saying it out loud. Just think of a moment, think of a moment in your life when someone gave you a really thoughtful gift. You could tell right away, as soon as you saw it, as soon as you opened it, it was very thoughtful. They knew exactly what you wanted, even though you may not have known that you needed it or wanted it. And as you're opening it, I mean, just think about the feelings that you get when you receive this thoughtful gift. Now, think about what was your response after that? So after the initial feelings of like the joy and the surprise and the like, oh my goodness, they, they, they know me, like they, they were thinking of me when they bought this gift. And after that, what was your response? For any of us, sometimes the response might've been, oh my goodness, you didn't have to do that. Like, this is way too much. And almost you start to like discredit the gift. What have we done in that scenario? If that's our response, right? What have we done to the other person in that response? Or was your response like just this overwhelming thankfulness and you, you almost like embrace them and bring them in closer to you? And what was their response? What gift now did you give back to them with that sort of response? And so hopefully that story kind of helps or that thought kind of helps us understand like, where is our mindset when it comes to, do we really feel like we have to earn anything? Or are we actually open to receiving sometimes? It's such a terrific point. And I, I think it's extraordinarily important because we risk dismissing the other person and the mm. intent of the other person and all that person. And even, even for us that are gift givers, mm -hmm. all we really want to hear is thank you. Yeah. And thank you with a period at the end of it, because the period makes it a declaration. Thank mm. you. Yeah. With, with, with nothing else attached. And you had referenced earlier, the level of wealth is equal to level of gratitude. And yeah. this idea of practicing gratitude is somewhat in vogue right now. Mm -hmm. yeah. And unfortunately, when things like that are in vogue, it on some level devalues the oomph behind that. Mm -hmm. But how do you practice gratitude with intentionality? Yeah. So this might be another one of those moments where hopefully maybe I can share something that others could put into practice because I don't know that anything that I do is necessarily all that special when it comes to how I'm going to answer that question. But my hope is maybe some of what I share will help others. So first is, do you already have like a natural inclination for gratitude or not? Just identifying that. Like, do I naturally have a thankfulness? Do I naturally have a sense of gratitude? If the answer is yes, then your practices might come a little easier to you. I feel fortunate that for the most part, I feel like that's been kind of just a part of who I am. 
I've also had the opportunity to be around a lot of people who that's not necessarily their natural approach or their natural response to what's going on in the world around them. And so this is where I'm going to share some practices that not only I use, but I've, I've been able to see other people utilize them or they've shared them with me that works for them. And so one is to actually be purposeful about writing that down. Like many, I'm sure many people, many probably of your listeners have heard that the importance of journaling, the things that you're thankful for. The, the reality is, and what some of the research shows is there's, there's a bit of a, you know, magical or a faith in seeing your own handwriting written down in the connection it makes in your brain's pathways. And so that exercise of purposefully writing down in your own handwriting, the things that you're thankful for can be an outstanding exercise and habit to get into because as you do that over and over, if it does become a habit, those things that become habits that we do so repetitively can become more natural for us. And so even if gratitude or thankfulness isn't necessarily your current natural response, you can get there through forming the right habits of repetitive action. So that would be one. I'll share with you another one that I do is I will do some things that I know put my mind to rest. So let me give you an example. If I go to the gym and work out, which I enjoy doing on a regular basis. Now for the, <laughs> if there's anybody listening that runs into me at the gym, I'm about to disclose one of my secrets, because a lot of times when I have headphones on in the gym, I'm not actually listening to anything. <laughs> it's just because I'm kind of letting my <laughs> thoughts run. And, but I'll prompt myself with questions. And one of those questions will be, what am I thankful for? While I'm in here working out and I can just kind of go through the motions because I've been working out for a long time and I grew up in sports. And so I don't have to think about every part of every exercise that I'm doing. And so it allows my mind to be at rest of the things that I'm doing to allow it to open up and really think and, and go deeper into those thoughts. And so I'll prompt myself with questions of like, what am I thankful for? And here's something that really helped me. I had an outstanding mentor. I was, I, I became great friends with a gentleman when he was in his later part of life. And I tell you what, Ed, if anyone wants to learn what life is all about, talk to the people that are beyond where, where you are, or, or they've achieved some things that you'd like to achieve. And they've already been there, done that. And I've had many mentors like that. And there was one particular gentleman and we built a, this outstanding close friendship. And even as he was going through cancer and, and he was seeing his body deteriorate, just to learn from him. He was a strong Christian man. He used to talk about heaven on a regular basis at that point in his life and how excited he was to be there, but how he still wanted to make sure that he was doing the best he could with every day that God gave him here on earth. And so there are many, many lessons that I learned from him. One of them was helping me to understand how do you get to the point where you can be truly thankful, truly grateful for even the toughest of challenges in your life. Even though the hardest things that you can be going through, how is it that you help yourself be grateful in the moment? Like my guess is for any of you that are listening, and even for you, Ed, we've probably had those times where you hear the, you hear the story after the fact, right? You get to hear the success end and then get to hear people recollect back through the story and how thankful they are that they went through it. But how many of us can honestly say in the moment of that challenge, we were truly grateful? Maybe yeah. not as many. And so even that exercise yeah. of asking ourselves, 
how can I be grateful in this moment? How can I be thankful in this moment? So how, however in vogue that concept becomes, it's how are you utilizing it? How am I utilizing it to be purposeful about it? And then again, with that repetitive action, there's people that I get to interact with on a regular basis. We have an outstanding team with both companies. I'm blessed to have a big family, not just my own family. I'm talking about extended family and people that are close enough that I feel like they're family. And in any of those, right, you got relationships are complicated. They can be challenging. At the same time, they can be so rewarding when you can find yourself being grateful in even the toughest of moments in some of those things that, you know, that are said, you know, God says our relationships are probably the most important thing that we've got in life in the way that we're designed. And even in those most challenging, if it's health, if it's money, if it's relationships, if it's spiritual, as you're in the moment of the challenge, let's be grateful for even those and know that there's a, there's, there's an embedded purpose that we may not see in that moment. That's so good. It, it resonates with me in with this idea that we are in relation to everything. Yeah. We're in relation to God, to our spouse, to our kids, to our coworkers, to 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 everything. And you had said something a little bit ago about putting your mind to rest. Mm, and yet, yeah. JW, that's not in vogue, especially <laughs> in a world of twenty four seven distraction where we need constant stimulation, constant entertainment, or we need to be busy because we feel guilty that if we're not busy, then we're lazy. I mean, this is all programming yeah. and conditioning. There is. What advice would you give to someone who struggles with those things to say, hey, look, putting your mind at rest allows you to to settle down, allows you to actually reduce stress and anxiety, allows you to hear God's whisper. Yes. How would, what sort of tactical things can they do? Yeah. Thanks again for this question. Again, you're asking wonderful questions. You, you, you do such an amazing job at paying attention to the conversation and listening. I appreciate uh, oh, you're welcome. You're welcome. So this, this idea of rest, Again, this is where kind of the coach and train. So that other, the other company that you mentioned, Joshua Development, the other professional uh, career that I have is as, as an executive coach and trainer. And so um, this concept of rest is one that especially we see in leaders. But I say that almost with wanting to also say we all are leaders in various aspects of our life. And so even if you're somebody that's listening right now and you're like, oh, well, this isn't going to apply to me. I'm not a leader. I can almost assure you, and with a fairly high level of confidence, assure you, you are a leader in some aspects of your life, or even in particular moments throughout your day, you are leading, even if you don't recognize who's following and watching you. And so this idea of rest, and you're right, we've almost been conditioned to think that if you're not busy, you're not productive. And if you're not productive, you're not maximizing your time. And if you're not maximizing your time, you're wasting your time. And then the reality is, is Let's think about the things that actually really do re-energize us, right? So to be able to come to a point of being at rest, for any of us, it's important to almost make a list of what are the things that actually do provide us rest? Because for most people, the things that you think you are doing to help yourself relax or put you at rest actually are not designed to do that. So I'll, I'll give you a quick example. How many of us have caught ourselves 
flipping through the thousands of streaming channels we have at our disposal now, only to find ourselves like a half hour later, still not finding what we want to watch, but we've been sitting on a couch and we think that's supposed to help us rest, but it didn't. And we don't feel any more restful. We might feel, now we might feel guilty because we think we're being lazy, but we don't feel necessarily any more rest. Or we're sitting there and we're just scrolling through social media on our phones and we think that's helping us relax or that's because I'm not active or I'm not physical that that's providing me the rest that I need. But yet it's stimulating our mind. It's actually designed to have a chemical reaction throughout our bodies that is not allowing us to rest. And so I'm at, I'll actually share with you and, and, and any of your audience, we gave an acronym to that word rest of what we found actually helps put people at rest. And so quickly, I'll give you the acronym, but then I'll, I'll give you a little bit on, on each one of what each one means. And hopefully that'll help everyone that's listening is that R, the R in rest is, stands for relief. And the E stands for endorphins. The S stands for sleep. And the T is for thankfulness. So relief, endorphins, sleep, and thankfulness. And so for any of you that are listening, take a moment to think about what are the things that truly provide you relief or re-energize you. It could be as simple as maybe it's just going out for a walk, but maybe you're going for that walk and you don't listen to anything. You just go for a walk to just go for a walk, right? Or maybe sitting down to read a book, like an actual book, not a book on a screen, but an actual book. Does that provide you relief? And so think through the things. What are the, I'll share a couple that help me. Going to work out at the gym helps me have physical relief. Even though I'm exerting a ton of energy to do it, I feel relief, uh, which actually transitions into endorphins as well. Endorphins is, are actually a healing chemical. So the more we generate endorphins within us, it, it actually heals our bodies to do that. And that's why endorphins is the E. So think through what are the things that truly provide you relief. Maybe it is going to church on Sunday and just being able to sit in the audience and listen and take notes and absorb what's being taught. Maybe that's one of the things that provides you relief. And so what we do is we need to elevate the priority to the things that give us relief and mark out time in your day for those things to happen. Now, the endorphins as a part of rest and generating endorphins allows us our bodies to have the rest and healing that it needs so endorphins are produced through action and so i mentioned working out working out doesn't need to be the only one people many people have heard of a runner's high you know after you've run a certain period of time you trigger endorphins to keep you going even when you mentally think that you need to stop but your body has more in it well the aftermath of that is those endorphins create healing which is part of the rest that we need to work at a higher pace or to be the best mom or dad that we can be or husband or wife that we can be and have still energy for them at the end of the day after our work day, if that's the way your schedule is. And so those endorphins are extremely important. And then sleep. Everybody has to understand what, what is your right level of sleep? I, I've seen so much research out there on what's the right number of hours of sleep. The reality is, is it's probably one of those things where any of us just needs to understand for you, for your mind, for your body. What's that right amount of sleep? And do you need a nap at some point during the day? Because you need that aspect of sleep. And then um, the thankfulness is one that you and I already talked about. So hopefully that's practical of something that people can follow to go, how do I put my mind at rest? How do I put my body at rest? So that way 
I actually can maximize the other parts of my day where I need to be on it. Like I need to be at, I need to be on it. I need to be moving. I need to be working. I need to be there for my kids. I need to be there for my husband or wife. And then you'll feel like you have the energy for that and can be at your best. I love how you said that. Elevate the priority of those things that give you relief. Yeah. I mean, it, if everyone just started with that one, I'm, I'd be fascinated to know how that ultimately cascades uh, into oh, absolutely. helping people quiet their mind. I mentioned earlier that there were two directions that I wanted to take the conversation. Yeah, the sure. first has been <laughs> outstanding with regard to our perception of, of wealth and how that tied into gratitude. The other is you commented about your passion for youth sports. Yeah. How have you been able to disciple mm. young people without necessarily opening the fire hose on them with respect to God? This is my approach. I, I don't know if it's the right approach, but I believe the principles that are in the Bible, the principles of our Christian faith, those are ap applicable principles to real life. So whether whether we say out loud, this is a Christ Christian principle, I'm going to teach these kids or not, the principle, if we can influence that in their lives, then I feel like that is discipleship. That is hopefully a transformation in someone that they'll apply those principles in their lives as in this case, as they grow up. And so I mentioned my greatest love of sports is, is coaching basketball. And that's what I've done. The majority of the coach I've coached other sports, but the majority of it's been basketball. And so with that, there's so many principles, biblical principles that you can utilize in sport that then they may not realize that's a Christian principle, but if they live it out in their life, there's going to be something special that other people see in that person, especially as they grow up. So if that principle is, let's say we're on the basketball court and I'm, and, and let's use, let's use one that, that is probably common for anyone that's ever played basketball. When you're running what we used to call suicides when I was a kid, we're not necessarily supposed to call them suicides anymore, but basically when you got to run up and down the court and you got to hit each line and you don't get to stop until coach says it's time to stop, basically that starts to build a work ethic. Right. And, and a good coach is probably going to be able to recognize in those players like what's going to allow them to go a little bit beyond what they feel they're currently capable of? What's going to encourage them to keep running, even if they think their bodies are telling them they have nothing left in the tank? And so that principle, if that's practiced over and over in sport, then that's going to start to flow out of that player in other parts of their life. And that's just one example. But for me, it, it's, it's going back to those principles. What are the Christian principles and how do we just apply them in real life, whether it's in sport or other areas, so that then you see other people start to live them out because they're practicing them on a regular basis. You talk about situations or where you've had former players come back mm -hmm. and say, you know, Coach JW, what you taught me then I, I remembered and I was able to apply it to my life. And here's how I was able to do that. And here's the impact. Have you had those moments throughout your time oh coaching? Goodness. Some of the greatest gifts. Absolutely. Ed. Some of the greatest gifts is when, I mean, there, there's been times where players have reached out when they're facing a challenge in their life 
and they're not quite sure what to do. And for whatever reason, they think to reach out to me. And now I've been fortunate. I've had the same cell phone number since I got out of high school. And so, and, and now it's fairly easy to find people, whether it's online or other ways. And so <laughs> it's, it's such a great gift when players come back. And I've had players that have invited me to graduations and weddings and the births of their children. I've had players that have wanted to come back and coach. Uh, with us and so Ed there's times we'll do the parents and players meeting at the beginning of a season and we'll be we'll we'll be coaching fifth graders let's use this as an example we'll be coaching fifth graders and I'll have a lineup of five or six coaches out there volunteering on the coaching staff of a fifth grade recreation team <laughs> and the parents are sitting there going what kind of program is this but these, these, I've one of my brothers has coached with me, and then the other are all former players that, as they've grown up, they're like, "Hey, I want to coach too." And so, you see that play out when you're able to stay connected, and I think that's the beauty in staying connected with people. I mean, we talked about relationships earlier, but um, that's the beauty in being able to stay connected. Is sometimes you get to see some of those results. What I would encourage anybody that's listening with is. You, you're not always going to get to see the results of the influence that you've had. And so sometimes we just have to have the belief that the influence is there. And if it was meant to stick, if it was meant to play out in their lives, it will. We may not ever get the gift of knowing whether it did or not. Sometimes we do. And that is an absolute stunning reward when it happens. One final question for you, JW. Yeah. I mentioned in the opening, and this was a quote uh, of yours. When you look for the good in people, you'll find it. Yeah. We live in a cynical and jaded world where it mm -hmm. seems like the majority of people's default setting is distrust, looking at at others at, you know, in, in a way where we feel like we're going to be taken advantage of. We We approach situations really guarded, and yet your quote, when you look for the good in people, you'll find it it's really speaks to being open and, and genuinely caring. Where did that come from? Where did you learn mm -hmm. that idea to have your default setting be looking for the good in others, knowing that it's there and you'll discover it? Yeah. Thank you for asking that. So is it okay if I share a quick personal story to respond to that? Please. So growing up, there were, there were many people that helped us. So growing up constructing in construction, I'll put it this way. My dad raised my brothers and I with the best lifestyle he could as a laboring carpenter that probably never made more than like 15 bucks an hour. And I don't know if any of you have ever tried to feed, just feed three boys. It requires more than 15 bucks an hour, no matter what era you look back at. And so there were many, many people that these are not all perfect people, but there were many people that helped us and, and helped us in many ways. Uh, sometimes it was just with encouragement. Sometimes it was with food. Sometimes it was, it was with a place to stay. And so I think that's probably what allowed me to see the good in people, regardless of what the whole person was like. And so 
I mean, I can even share with you, there were, some, there were some guys that my dad worked with, they were doing illegal things. And yet they helped us at times when we needed it. And so it allowed me to see that, yeah, maybe not every part of their life is perfect. Maybe not every part of who they are is good, but there's good in them. And so I can only imagine that's part of where that came from. I think it's also just regular, you know, practice of, and I'm fortunate, I, I go to a men's Bible study on a regular basis and, and uh, go to church on a regular basis. And there's been other people that have really poured into me at moments where I didn't even realize I had some potential that other people saw on me. And so one of the things that I think is the greatest gifts that any of us can give to another person is just verbally or written, recognize something you see in them that they may or may not see in themselves yet. And that's where also that view of, hey, when you look for the good in someone, you will find it. I'll, I'll add this. I'll add this. This is not my story, but there was there's a pastor that at the church that we go to on a regular basis. He said this many times before, and I'll share a couple. Of, I'll share a couple of his quotes. So one of them is where what you focus on is what you'll move, move towards. And so it, it, we all have control over our focus. So regardless of the influences around us, because there's there's much of what you stated earlier that I do agree with. There's a lot of cynicism out there. I actually, I, I personally believe that there's like three big enemies that are just attacking us right now of fear, negativity, and division. And so we can choose to focus on those things. And then that becomes like all we see. And now there's even technology that that almost narrows us down into only seeing the things that it thinks where we should see or that we believe in when we look at algorithms and AI and some of those things that were there, even when you do searches, they're coming up with just the regular things that you search. Well, that can tend to narrow someone's focus, but maybe it's not you being the one intentional about where your focus is. And so if we focus on the cynicism, if we focus on the negative, basically, if we focus on the things that we can't control, then it's going to feel like our lives are almost out of control. My grandfather, who, as I mentioned, was in farming, he, you know, he would say all the time, JW, there's things you can control and there's things you can't. He goes, your grandmother, she worries all the time about the weather. We can't control the weather. What we can control is the way that we rotate our crop and build silos and stick crop the harvest away. And then when the prices are right, we sell it at better prices. He's like, we can control those kinds of things. And so when we look at people, we can choose to focus on the good we see in them, or we can choose to focus on all the other stuff. And so I, I, I guess my hope is that anyone that's listening, just start to look around. See how much good you can actually find because there's a lot of it. And it's, and it's not to ignore the challenges. It's not to ignore the other tough stuff that's going on out there by any means whatsoever. We have to work on that too. Yeah. Relationships, as you mentioned earlier, are extraordinarily messy. And mm -hmm. it dawns on me that when we make cardboard cutouts out of people, that is a part of the definition of a self-limiting belief. Right? Yeah. Because we don't open ourselves up to so many possibilities. Yeah. JW, this has been this has been wonderful. Thank you so much for this conversation. Before we wrap, would you yeah. mind praying us out? Yeah, I'd be happy to. And thank you. I really appreciate the invitation, Ed, especially the newness of our relationship. And you said, you know, really in the first conversation, just saying, hey, 
would you be willing to do this? And so I, I do. I thank you. I thank you for the platform that you're giving people to come and search and learn. And so I guess that's where I'll begin our prayer and um, appreciate the opportunity to do that. And so, Lord, we just first thank you for the gifts that you've given Ed. Thank you for the things that you've put on his heart and the action that he's taken from those that allows a way for people to learn from others uh, through comfortable conversation, through great conversation, through real life conversation. Uh, you have given all of us a life to live, and we thank you for that. Thank you for providing in the ways that you do. Thank you for everyone that's listening to this podcast, that they will see more of you in their life, that they will open themselves up to the guidance of the Holy Spirit, that they'll see the sacrifice that you've made through Jesus and that they will turn to you for the path of their life. We thank you for everything that you do for us and especially all that we don't even see that you've guided in our lives. Help us to love you as much as possible. Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this opportunity. And with that, we just say, amen. Amen. JW, thank you again. I really appreciate your time. Thanks, Ed. It's been a joy. Appreciate it. God bless. You too. We'll see you. Contact the show at itsnotmycredittotake.com. We'd love to hear from you. God bless.